Peter the pastor. Peter was a pastor. In other words, Peter was an elder in the Lord's church. Now, in the denominational world, when you hear that word pastor, they automatically think of the preacher. Now, a preacher can be a pastor. You can be a preacher and be an elder like Peter was. Peter was a preacher, he was an elder. But it's much like the Levites. Every priest had to be a Levite, but not every Levite was a priest. And so, uh, preachers can be pastors, but not all preachers are pastors. And so, but, but Peter was. And I think what Peter finally understood as he grew and he matured in his uh, life as a Christian was that he was given an opportunity and he was in a position to help lead the church of Christ in his location. Now, as an apostle, he helped to lead the church universally. But then he had this opportunity to lead the church in his location as an ordained elder in the church for which Christ died. Now, whether or not he relished that job, and I don't know that relish would be a, would be a term that any elder would describe their position with. Uh, I believe they are enthusiastic about being an elder, those men that do serve. I believe they desire to be elders because obviously that's the first requirement in order to be an elder. But relish, I don't know that that would be uh, the proper way to describe it. But he did realize, I think, that he was still a leader and he accepted that great responsibility as an elder with which God had blessed him. When Jesus appeared to the disciples at the Sea of Galilee, he asked Peter three times if he loved him. He asked him three times, and each time that he confirmed he did, Jesus gave him a charge concerning the flock. I don't know, uh, uh, some of you may know uh, Brother James Rogers from uh, Alabama. He's over in the Cookville area now. And he was holding a meeting up in Crossville, Tennessee one time, and he made one of the greatest statements concerning the eldership I believe I have ever heard. He was speaking on the eldership, and he said, If you're going to be a shepherd... You must smell like the sheep. What's well, right, isn't it? If you're going to be a shepherd, you must smell like the sheep because how many shepherds do not smell like their sheep? Well, just think about that. When the angels appeared to the shepherds, when Christ was born, they were in the fields sleeping with their sheep, keeping an eye on their sheep, guarding their sheep. You know, sheep are dumb animals. They, uh, uh, they are one of the dumbest animals, I think, that has ever been created. They will drink out of muddy water when there's fresh water right beside them. They will eat uh, poor grass pasture land when they could walk just a few feet and eat good grass. They, uh, uh, when they get scared, they will... Uh, often fall down and be what is called cast. They will roll over on their back and they cannot get up. And if they stay in that position very long, they'll die because they become scared and the uh, 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 carbon uh, dioxide builds up in their blood system, their bloodstream, and they eventually die from that. And so they have to be watched over all the time. It's really no, uh, no coincidence that God refers to us as sheep. Right? 
When Jesus looked out over the uh, multitude, He said they look like sheep gone astray. Sheep with no shepherd. And But that's how people are, right? We will do things when we could step over here and do the right thing. But see, we're like sheep. And I, I'm not... I'm not uh, trying to be demeaning to us, but the Lord called the sheep, right? And so when Jesus appeared to the disciples at the Sea of Galilee, He asked Peter three times, Do you love me? Thou knowest I love thee. Feed the flock. Watch over the flock. Three times He gave him a charge concerning His flock. Christ was also told, or Peter was also told, uh, to feed Christ's lambs and sheep. We see that in John 2. 15 through 17. Let's read that. Let's look at that and notice uh, exactly what the Lord is saying to Peter in that passage. So I think that's a very interesting statement. He's talking about lamb and sheep. John 2, 15 through 17. Also, what I'd like to tell you, I never uh, used my notes on a computer. But as I was finishing up that wedding, I was in haste to look for my notes, and you know I could not find them anywhere. I don't know uh, if my wife did something with them or, or what happened. But uh, I, 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 it's hard for me to read off of a computer screen, but we'll have to try to make it today as best we can. Let's notice John 20, I said chapter 2, it's uh, chapter 21. John 21 beginning with verse 15. So when they had dined, they had eaten on the seashore there, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest thou love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved, because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. So what was he talking about? Peter's responsibility as a gospel preacher, but we're thinking about and we're talking about his life as a pastor. And ultimately, when he would become a pastor, that is the responsibility of the eldership to what? Feed the flock. We see that in Acts 20, 28, right? Uh, Peter told the elders there, uh, take care of the flock, of course I'm paraphrasing, feed the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you an overseer. And so it is the responsibility of an elder to feed the flock. But notice it's a responsibility to feed a wholesome diet to the whole flock, right? Not just those that are mature Christians. Or not just those that you, you want to focus on those that have just become Christians. Those that have just given their lives to Christ. Uh, you don't want to just solely focus on them because all of us need to be fed, right? If we're... A hundred and ten, we need to be fed. If we're ten, we need to be fed, right? And if we're in the middle somewhere, we need to be fed. So I think Jesus is letting Peter understand, feed the flock, my lambs and my sheep. And uh, he understands that 
that he was to give that wholesome diet. Paul warned Timothy concerning wholesome preaching some things. Let's notice 1 Timothy chapter 6. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning with verse 3, Paul said this, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. See, we have to understand that the flock was given by Christ. Now, let's think about that for just a moment. We were talking on the way down here about this wedding that we had yesterday that I performed. Now, in this wedding, the father did not give the bride away, but we were talking about that, giving, giving the bride away. And Nicole said, I'm not going to give any of my daughters away. She said, I'm, gain, I'm going to gain a boy. We don't have any boys in my family, so I'm going to gain some boys. Cameron told me that uh, she said, I'll tell you what, she said, why don't you just hand me off for a little while instead of giving me away. I said, well, I'll loan you out for a while. I'll loan you out instead of giving you away. But notice, see, we understand that relationship in family, right? Our daughters marry, our sons marry, they go off and make a, a life of their own, and we miss that daily interaction. Notice what Christ did. He gave the flock to the eldership to oversee. He loaned them out, so to speak, right? Because He is the chief shepherd. Peter had to understand. You see, when we talk about Peter beginning over here as the uh, uh, rambunctious, uh, always talking instead of listening kind of individual, and we see that maturation process to the point where now he's an elder in the church as he pens his two epistles, he begins to understand the importance of being a Christian and what that really means. That means something, doesn't it? It means more than being able to recite the plan of salvation. Now, we need to be able to do that. We need to be able to remind people how to be saved. You know, in that letter that Peter wrote, he said, I want to bring to your remembrance. It's okay to bring to remembrance, right? And I have a difficult time when I go hear a sermon somewhere and the preacher does not explain to those in the audience how to become Christians. I have a real problem with that. And someone says, well, you know, you look out in the audience and, and everybody there is a Christian. Or they've got children that know how to become Christians. When they come into the age of accountability, they'll understand that. But Peter brought into remembrance, right? Have... have uh, uh, have you ever talked to someone about your favorite sports team or uh, something about business and they ask you a question and you just can't really remember it off the top of your head and it's something very simple? Sure, we've all done that, haven't we? How do we remember that? Well, we continually study it. We need to study how to teach people to be Christians, right? We need to keep that going. And so Peter understood that wholesome words, Paul told Timothy 
preach wholesome words. That's healthy, right? Healthy words. And so as he matured, he understood that he could not lead if he did not heed. He had to heed the lessons that Christ taught him or he could not lead. A friend of mine in Memphis is a financial advisor. And there's a, a huge congregation in the Memphis area and he does some business from a financial aspect with some of the leadership there. And one of the preachers there, he was talking with him and they were talking about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And, and this isn't a class on marriage, divorce, and remarriage, but uh, according to Matthew 19.9, we understand Matthew chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we understand that a person that has been... Uh, 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 married to someone and that spouse, one or the other, is unfaithful, then that breaks the marriage bond. Okay? Well, this uh, friend of mine was talking to uh, one of the ministers there at this particular congregation and they had a disagreement on that. He felt like that you could marry how many ever times you wanted to marry. God wants you to be happy. And... Uh, uh, he asked him, he said, how do, how do you come to that conclusion? He said, well, you're not going to understand that because you see, he said, I'm a, I have a doctorate degree. And if you look in the Greek, it means this, this, and this. Well, I was talking with a fellow yesterday and we were talking about, it just so happened to be talking about elders and qualifications. He said, well, in the Greek, I said, hey, wait a minute, I don't speak Greek. I speak English. And when I read the Scriptures, I read them in English, and I think I can understand that. I think the King James Version of the Bible, written on about a 10th grade level, I believe, something like that. I might be off a grade or two. New King James Version of the Bible, written on an even lower grade level. Surely I can read that and understand it, right? And so, what Paul was in, uh, charging Timothy to do was, you preach the Gospel. You preach the truth. You do it in a loving way, but you still preach the truth. And we don't want to endanger somebody's soul because we're afraid it might hurt their feelings. Now, here's something we have to understand on that. And I think Peter was one that came to that understanding because he was a brash young man, wasn't he? We, do, we never want to unnecessarily offend anyone. Okay, If the gospel offends someone, we can't help that. But if the way in which I present the gospel is offensive, I need to rethink my techniques. Okay? I need to uh, work on my bedside manner a little bit. If what I'm saying unnecessarily offends someone, right? I tell you, we were sitting in a class one time, Nicole and I, and uh, this has probably been seven or eight, nine years ago or something. I can't remember. But anyway... A man that was a deacon in the Lord's church told a joke in the class. He said, what's the difference between a Catholic and a Methodist? And he named off all kinds of denominations. Someone said, I don't know what. He said, nothing. They're all going to hell. And he laughed. Now, where's the, where's the humor in that? Where's the humor in that? That's not funny, is it? That is unnecessarily offensive. Someone like that needs to have an attitude adjustment, right? And the Lord is good at doing that. But what P 
Peter and Paul and all these great men we read about, they understood if you're going to lead, you first must heed what God said. And you have to do it in a way that God wants us to do it. Again, let's go back to Acts chapter 20. Let's notice uh, Paul's words to the Ephesian elders. He told them in verse 20, Acts 20, verse 20. He didn't start that comment with, you take heed of the flock. You keep your eye on the flock. Now, we get to that in a few moments, don't we? But he said first, take heed unto yourselves. The leadership of any organization has to be willing to lead. And they have to be willing to look at themselves and say, that avenue did not work out, so we need to do it the proper way. Look, there's nothing wrong with saying, okay, I messed up there, let's try a different route. Okay? How many of us have been traveling and we didn't really want to look at the map and our wives are sitting over there knowing exactly we went the wrong way, but go ahead and let us do it anyway because hopefully we'll figure it out? See, it's okay to say, well, I took a wrong turn. People that lead organizations, we're not just talking about the church. People that lead corporate America, when they do well, they do well because they say, hey, that didn't work. We need to do this. And so when we do something, we need to always compare it to the Scripture. And sometimes we'll do things and it's not in accordance with what God wants. Because we make mistakes from time to time. But we need to be willing to say as a leadership, hey, let's go in this direction. This is what God says. Let's do that. But notice what he said. He said, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. It's a responsibility of elders. It's a responsibility of leadership to take heed and to feed. Now how do we do that? Well, the leadership or the eldership may decide on uh, bringing in a certain person to stand in the pulpit. But that's just part of feeding, isn't it? That's just part of feeding. We have to feed and maintain the flock, or the flock will starve to death. But what does any... uh, I I grew up uh, in rural Tennessee, north of Crossville, had a whole lot of farmers, raised a whole lot of cattle. They didn't just maintain that one herd of cattle that they had. They were in that to make to make money. They were in it for business, right? They were always growing the herd. Now, how do we apply that to the church? Well, we're not in the business of the church to be keepers of the aquarium. We are to be fishers of men, right? Now, we keep the aquarium. We make we maintain that the flock is fed but we also have to add to it. And so we go out and we feed the flock in the community. As we feed feed our flock, we go out and we try to gain new sheep. We feed them along the way, right? And so there are many ways that we feed the flock. We do it in Bible classes. One of the greatest uh, uh, ways to study is to sit down as a bunch of people, as the prophet said, and let us reason together. None of us know it all, right? We're never going to know it all. But we can figure it out as we reason together. And I've done a whole lot of talking. Any comments or questions? Anything? 
The head of the church, Christ, is the chief shepherd. As an elder, as a pastor, and that term pastor, again, is a reference to an elder. An elder has uh, several titles that we find in the, uh, in the New Testament. Six titles, in fact. Overseer, bishop, elder, pastor, shepherd, presbyter. They all, they all mean the same office. The office of an elder. The office of the eldership. Each individual elder is in subjection to the eldership. Right? And so... We do that, God in His great wisdom did that because if you don't, then you end up with a denomination with one man as the head and that affects everybody. The churches of Christ are autonomous. What happens in this congregation does not necessarily affect the one down the road. We may decide to bring in the the piano here. We may decide to have our sisters preaching. We're not going to do that, but... In case we did, that's not going to affect the congregation down the road. Likewise, what they do will not affect us. When you have a central earthly head, it affects everybody. So in His great wisdom, God said we're not going to do that. We're going to be autonomous, meaning local leadership. And so what we have to do is we have to understand that as local leaders, we are under the chief shepherd. Shepherds. Rule under the chief shepherd. And so when we think of it that way, we understand that it's not men making decisions as far as doctrine goes. Those decisions were made in the long ago. It is the fact that there are men upholding the doctrine that was established 2,000 years ago and in matters of convenience and expediency. How are we going to reach out to the community? Hey, However you deem necessary, right? How are we going to spread the gospel? Well, uh, we're going to go uh, on a mission trip overseas, or we're going to go on a mission trip downtown Chattanooga. That, hey, that's a mission trip too, isn't it? I remember, uh, what was it, last year, the uh, National Atheist Convention came to Memphis. And uh, one Sunday, was that last year? One Sunday, uh, I put together some tracks, and uh, we went down to the... Uh, What's the name of that hotel? Where we got the ducks? Peabody, yeah. Went down to the Peabody because that's where they were having the convention. And so we handed out tracts and we talked to people. And we asked them, why, why, do you, why are you an atheist? What is it that attracted you to being an atheist? What is it that uh, makes you believe that we can't trust the Bible? We had a lot of good discussions. Now, I took Blakeland with me because very few people want to turn down a baby, Right? And so I had, I, boy, I was handing out my tracks right and left. Some of the other guys had a little hard time, but I had the baby with me, so people would stop and they felt bad about handing out, uh, not taking the tracks. So I had a lot of good discussion. But that's one way we, that, that's one way we do the work, right? And so we have to understand that if we're going to do the work, we have to do the work that the head shepherd has given us to perform, and we have to do it to the best of our abilities. Let's look at a few more verses here. Let's notice Hebrews 13, 17. As an elder, Peter and those with whom he served, again, were under shepherds and responsible for the souls of Christ's flock and would answer to him for their conduct. Now think about that. The under shepherds 
will answer for the way in which they rule, the way in which they oversee. The Hebrews writer said, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, and they must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So that's kind of a, a, a two-pronged uh, warning right there, isn't it? As an elder or a pastor, Peter had to understand his leadership ability and the way in which he guided the flock, he would stand in judgment for that. If he guided the flock in the proper way, he would be rewarded for that. If he guided the flock in the wrong way, he would stand in judgment for that. Now, at the same time, it's not all the responsibility of an eldership. There is personal responsibility. The writer says, if you make that a grievous job for the eldership, it's going to be very unprofitable for you. And so we have a two-pronged warning there. Lead in the way that God wants you to lead and follow in the way God wants you to follow. You know... uh uh, what was it? Was it General Patton, lead, follow, or get out of the way, right? Lead, follow, get out of the way. Uh, years ago, I saw a, uh, and I, I've got it somewhere, I don't know where, uh, Brother, uh, I can't recall his name right now, but anyway, he was the first director of the School of Preaching, Hearn, Brother Hearn. And he put together, he made a, a, a picture, he drew a picture, and he's talking about the church. He drew this house, and he drew it on a, uh, on wheels, like as if it were a wagon, and you got people pulling, you got people pushing, you got people riding, just sitting on top of the house, not doing anything, and then you've got people putting a scotch on the wheel so it won't roll. So you got to deal with all kinds of people as leaders, right? And you have to understand how can I reach that person? You know, the the one putting the scotch under the wheel might turn out to be a great evangelist one day, if we handle him properly, or her. Right, if we encourage them in the right way. Now we can just come down on someone like that in a very harsh manner, and uh, you know, they probably never listen to anyone associated with the church again. Now, do some people need to be uh handled in a harsh manner? Certainly they do. Certainly they do. But we have to understand that's where leadership comes in, right? That's where discerning comes in, overseeing, things of that. Uh in his first letter, Peter said this. Let's notice 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. Peter said, The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder. So Peter was an elder. And a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He was there with Christ. That was one of the qualifications to be an apostle. And also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And we have to understand the position of an elder. Now there are going to be some people that say, an elder or an eldership has no real authority. They read, lead by example. Hey, after all, that's what Peter said, right? That's not what Peter said. He didn't say that. He said, be an example. But he didn't say that you only lead by example. 
We go back to Hebrews 13, 17. What did that writer say? You submit to those that have the rule over you. Okay? Look, there are a lot of people in the world that will never associate with a particular congregation. Never assign themselves to uh, locate with a particular congregation because they do not want to be under anyone's rule. They don't want to be under the oversight of anyone. But what did Peter say here? Peter said, told the elders, you be a leader in the group of which you are a part. Everybody has to be a part of the group. There is no such thing as member universal. There's not. There's no such thing as that. You are a member at a specific location. Peter or Paul was a member at Ephesus for three years. He, he uh, uh, worked under the oversight of those elders, and he admonished them. He, he realized, you are overseers. I'm a part of this group, right? So we identify with a group because if we don't, how can a, an eldership watch after our souls, right? I know Brother Watkins, long-time elder here at White Oak. That's a great responsibility. But how can he, along with the other men that were elders, watch over anyone's soul if you're not a member there? You have, you're a member, you, you watch over the souls of people where you're located, right? If you're not located there, the elders can't do anything about that. But, but I can, right? I can identify with that group of people and I can allow someone to watch over my soul. Let's consider Peter's life in light of some of these qualifications. An elder is to be blameless. Now wait a minute. We see that in 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1. An elder is supposed to be blameless. But what about that time that we all remember so well, in Galatians 2 verse 11, Paul withstood Peter to the face. Why? Because he was to be blamed. I thought an elder is supposed to be blameless. Well, let's just keep that in the back of our minds. An elder is to be no striker. Who cut off Malchus's ear? John 18, verse 10. Who cut off Malchus's ear? Peter did. Wait a minute. I thought a Peter was to, uh, a Paul, uh, uh, elder was to be no striker. An elder is to be patient. Peter, when we think of Peter, do we think of patience? No, we don't, do we? Well, what's going on? It was Peter that rebuked Christ himself for talking about his death. He said, oh, no. Hey, that won't happen. He's going to, that's why he cut off Malchus's ear. And what about the time that he suggested on, uh, on the uh, uh, Mount of Transfiguration, hey, let's build three tents. That doesn't sound like patience to me. But an elder is supposed to be patient. What about an elder must have a good report of them which are without? Meaning those that are non-Christians, right? I know of an, an elder at a, at a particular congregation. I knew this man for years. He's not with us anymore. He, he passed on. He wanted to be an elder at this particular congregation. They didn't want him to be an elder. Wouldn't allow him to be an elder because he was a businessman and everybody knew he was a shyster. You couldn't trade with him. He'd skin you every time. And he was so upset that he went to a smaller congregation where he could be an elder. Now, he desired to be an elder. He had that qualification down pat. But he didn't have a good report amongst those people that were not Christians. We think of Cornelius, right? The stranger in the gate. Or either that or he was a proselyte, uh, he proselytized into the Jewish religion, but he had a good report among the Jews. He was a Gentile. That is an amazing compliment for Cornelius. 
But what about Peter? Did he have a good report? Did he not publicly lie about knowing Christ and he did it with cursing and swearing? How does Peter fit into any of these qualifications? How does that happen? Well, he did the same thing all of us are required to do. He went from being impatient, he went from being a striker, he went from being uh, one that was to be blamed, he went from all of those things to overcoming those things and being able to be installed as an elder in the Lord's church. We have a problem sometimes within the body of Christ where we think, and I don't mean we as in general, that an elder has to be a perfect man. There are no perfect men, right? If we're looking for a perfect congregation with which to work, look, if you find it, don't go there. You just mess it up, right? You just mess it up. Let's let that perfect congregation remain perfect. I won't go there. If you won't go there, we won't mess it up, okay? We overcome. We be, we get better. We mature. We can be what we need to be. Look at all of the people of the Bible, the great men and women of the Bible. Sarah laughed in God's face. Abraham. I don't know if I mentioned this last time I was here, but I'll mention it since my wife is here. We think of Abram and Abram Abraham as boy, a great man. And he was. He was a great man. Father of the faithful. Friend of God. But you know, let me tell you something. My wife has never been placed in the harem, not once, but twice. So Abraham was lacking in a lot of areas. What about Lot? Lost his whole family nearly because of uh, his poor decision-making skills. Uh, We see Adam and Eve, the very first example, right? Can you imagine... Adam and Eve being created, not born, created by God Himself. How handsome and beautiful that couple must have been. How intelligent that couple must have been. How personable that couple must have been. Yet, they were like sheep. They had the good grass right here, but they just soon eat the bad grass over here because they weren't thinking right. Everybody, going down the line, David, Solomon, uh, Peter, All the great men and women of the Bible never started out as great men and women. But they became great men and women in what God needed them to be. That's the example of Peter, isn't it? That's what we take away from Peter. Not the fact that, yeah, okay, I can identify because I kind of have a short temper myself. Oh, yeah, Peter had a short temper, but let me tell you something. I guarantee you. As I read through the Scripture, and I understand how we're supposed to mature as Christians, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, to temperance. You know, we go on and on and on. I bet that when Peter penned these letters, he didn't have a bad temper then. I bet that he was patient then. I bet that he was kind and loving then. Let's forget about the old Peter. Let's identify with the new Peter. It's so easy. And look, I understand it. I get it. It would help me out a lot just to be able to identify with the old Peter. But I need to identify with the new Peter. The Peter that became what God needed him to be. That's the example of Peter. And we see that in his progression from going from uh, a fisherman. That, and I, I think of Peter as a brawler. 
when, you know, short-tempered when, when Jesus came across him to being exactly what God needed him to be. One that would give his life for Christ. That's amazing, isn't it? That's amazing. What a, what a testament. What was it that Christ said? He said, there may be some men, I'm paraphrasing, that might give their lives for good men. But what about the one that would lay down his life for all men? He said, no better, there, there's no better friend than that one that would give his life for you. Peter filled those shoes. He was the best friend of Christ that he could possibly be. Think about that. I don't know that I've ever really considered that. He was the best friend of Christ that he could possibly be because he gave his life for him. He laid down his life for Christ. Paul laid down his life for Christ. James, uh, Matthew, all, all those men that we read about laid down their lives for Christ. John was the one that uh, died of natural causes. He was the best friend he could be to, to, to Christ because he gave his life for him. Now, what, how do we do that today? How do we make application for that? It doesn't matter what Peter did. He's been dead for 2,000 years. How do we make application in our lives? No one's kicking in our doors. Do we have two bells or just one? One, okay. We'll wrap this up. How do we make application to our lives? Well, I've got to be the best friend of Jesus I can be. I've got to give my life for Him. We don't have someone kicking down our doors yet, dragging us out into the streets like they did in the first century, threatening to kill our families if we do not claim uh, uh, Caesar is uh, Lord. We don't have any of that happening right now. I can still give my life for Christ. I can be the best Christian I can be and I can grow every single day. I can be just like Peter. I can get better. I can overcome my, my poor temperament. I can overcome uh, other deficiencies in my life and I can be what God needs me to be today. And that's how we give our lives to Christ. If we're going to be the best friend we can be to Him. And that's what we want, right? I appreciate so much the time. Thank you.